I'm on patrol around town again with, with the guys. And it's minus eight. Sun is shining. The ground is crispy. It's such a pretty city where I am now. I just wish we didn't have to wait for the enemy to come. Thomas is a foreign fighter in Ukraine. By the end of this episode, he'll be on the front lines, defending the outskirts of Kiev. He's among thousands of volunteer soldiers. Some are hungry for real-life combat. Others are ex-military who want to be part of a just war against a brutal invader. Then there are those like Thomas, ordinary Europeans who see a direct threat from a vengeful Russia. His home country is the Baltic state of Lithuania. It borders Russian territory, and it could be among Putin's next targets. So against the wishes of his partner, Thomas put his job in digital media in Brussels on hold. Thomas first headed to Western Ukraine to join up with the Georgian Legion, a paramilitary group that's been fighting Russian aggression in the region for years. These days, the Legion is training international volunteers so that they can play an effective part in rolling back Putin's army and, together with Ukraine, stop a new age of Russian imperialism. No migrants more in. No Europe without Christianity. An alliance also with Russia. EU Screen, in association with EU Observer. Episode 71, In the Line of Fire. Every time they learned where we came from, everyone was extremely grateful. The bus we took from Krakow was for free, of course. The people who arranged it were saying, thank you, thank you for doing this. When we crossing, were crossing the border, uh, the guards were fist bumping us and uh, called other guards to, to say hello and say thank you. Uh, when we arrived, we, all Ukrainian soldiers used Ukrainian inscripts and just people serving us food. They were asking where you're from. And hearing all these nationalities, Norway, France, Lithuania, Latvia, uh, UK, uh, there are quite a few US, and they're very pleased. <laughs> the eyes light up, they, they give us high fives, they tell their stories about traveling to those European countries, and they're saying that they're so pleased to see people supporting their fight. So, Dex, tell us, what, did, what, what just happened to you? Uh, I got chased out of the shop. <laughs> Why is that? What happened? I tried to pay for my haircut and she chased me. She's like, Niet, Niet. no, no, no. I was like, please, please. <laughs> oh, fuck them. So, local hairdresser in a small town nearby. She has a sign on her door, uh, all soldiers are cut for free. And anyone uh, from us wants to try to give her some money, she gets really upset and chases us out. 
So, a uh, big minivan just arrived from Latvia. Uh, we're offloading it as we uh, speak. Full of uh, military accessories, uh, first aid kits, even petrol. And it's it's loaded to the brim. And we, we're literally unpacking it now. Like It's, it's like a massive Christmas present. <laughs> Uh, everyone now unit is quite happy and of course there's way way more than what we need for my immediate unit so the rest is going to be donated to the georgian foreign unit we will teach you how to move as a team then we will teach you how to move as a team of 10 men. My name is Paul. I'm from Texas. And I've uh, been helping out with Georgian Foreign Legion here in Ukraine. Oh, I actually was living in Ukraine for over a year. I was living in Kiev. Uh, life was going very well for me in Kiev. Started a business, lots of friends. And then this invasion has gotten closer to where uh, it actually went hot. And I had seen that coming. So uh, in the weeks before that, I had joined the Georgian Foreign Legion to start training Ukrainians and people from all over the free world that wanted to come here and fight and defend Ukraine. All these guys here, they... Uh, not getting paid, they're just here because they want to defend uh, Ukraine and rather than uh, watch it on TV, they came here to help out. Whether it's admin or combat or supplies, everybody is crucial to this fight. It takes everybody to do this and we've all come together as a global community to help defend Ukraine. Slava Ukraina. So first of all, I'm London born and raised, 25, been here for a little while now got mutual contacts here so that's that's what got me into into the Georgian Legion. I have a few years uh, serving in the military and then after that I did other other relevant uh, work in in that industry. I'm here to help the people of Ukraine fuck Putin and develop my skills. To be strong. This is uh, what I fucking respect you in this country. And and you are from uh, Norway. But of course sometimes they cry and they have to cry. And then I, then you see your own girlfriend, she, she also tried to be strong, um, but then she fought down and um, started also crying. And then you see all these videos uh, that this fucking Russians killing uh, kids and old people. And yeah. My name is Enver. Originally, I'm Crimean Tatar from a Crimean Peninsula. It's part of Ukraine, which was occupied eight years ago by Russian troops. I have not any experience in military of battle, but I was a uh, volunteer and I helped our soldiers in 2014-2015 to send them, uh, to bring them any anything what is useful. Crimean Peninsula now is big prison. Everything which Putin authority be doing here. There. Great to have you amongst our midst. Inshallah. 
As part of training and preparation, we have free time for ourselves. And most of the time, uh, me and a few of my buddies from the group, we go to the gym. It used to be university gym. And now it's occupied by soldiers. It's getting busier and busier every day with more and more guys joining. And it's quite interesting <laughs> to see Kalashnikovs lined up by the wall and guys exercising just next to them. We, we have to be ready for anything at any given time. So even in the gym, our guns are just next to us. So when things get slow, one of the entertainment is to dismantle and assemble a Kalashnikov. We're visiting some friends in the blog post at the entrance of the city. And that's how they relax after a long day. Drinking tea, eating cookies and listening to Ukrainian music. Even at war you have the same problems when you're sharing a room with many people sleeping together. Snoring can be a big issue for some people. So if you ever wondered how to distinguish a Russian from Ukrainian in the battle, the only difference is a tape on the right hand. Ukrainians are either yellow or blue, and Russians are either white or red. That's it. That's the only difference. Otherwise, we wear more or less the same outfits on both sides. A lot of people, including my brother, ask me, why am I doing this? And it's very easy to explain. Essentially, we have a country that has the values that we claim to support, to live by. And then we have another country that has a complete opposite of what we want, that doesn't have freedom, that have autocracy, that doesn't respect any individual freedoms, no freedom of press, trying to conquer that country and then introduce their rule of law. That's just not on. So. This mission is not just about defending Ukraine, it's about defending the values of Europe. It's about really standing up for values that we believe and we've been enjoying it, thanks to other people fighting for it so many years back. So if we leave that, this country alone, just to fight by itself against much, much bigger aggressor, then we can't claim that we truly support the values that we enjoy ourselves every single day. Unusual side this morning, um, just in front of the church, we have a yellow bus parked waiting for the soldiers. Soldiers are lining up. In the background, sounds of church choir singing. 
in a few minutes they'd be heading out to the front lines. So after a week being here and constant training, I've been qualified as a field medic. I've got my, my badge, medical badge on my arm. All it took is just a week of a constant training, testing in terms of what to do when people get hit by shrapnel, bullets. Now it seems that I could fix quite a few serious injuries, including a chest um, chest hits by a bullet. But I'm just wondering how would I behave in the real field when we actually have smoke, guns, blood. Well, I think I'm ready. Uh, I hope I'm not going to need to do it, but I'm glad that we trained for it so we can help out each other in the field. So the group is splitting up. We're saying goodbye to our comrades, to, to the guys we've been sharing accommodation with. And now we're jumping on the bus on a new location in a smaller group. Quite a feeling. Inspirational speech, applaud from each other. And um, warning to, to be ready for the worst. Yeah, I'll throw them like this. <laughs> I'm now in the capital. We are here trying to prevent encirclement of the city. We're in the suburbs. And uh, in addition to a gunfire that probably you can hear behind me, we have a regular shelling from artillery fire. All day and all night. A few hours ago we went to the shop and it was startling to see the difference between Lviv and Kiev. In Lviv, uh, most of the shops are open and you get most of the products you want, as, uh, just as usual. In Kiev, however, most of the shelves are empty, especially for the fresh products, uh, fruits and vegetables, completely gone. You still can find some dry soups, some pastas, but apart from that, not even bread is there anymore. And you can definitely feel it that in the city, there's a lack of food. I keep thinking about these women who are trying to make their way out of the city. And it's not as simple as just going to a train station, taking a train or even meeting someone and jumping in a car. Even a small trip within the city can uh, end up being something <clears throat> terrible with a bomb or bullets flying past your head. So that's, that's life in Kiev right now.
Yesterday I went to check out one of the bunkers. It's quite an impressive structure. It was built in Soviet times to withstand a nuclear war. Really deep, long corridor, massive metal door, lots of space, uh, sanitary units, so you can have a shower, there's a functioning toilet. And I found there about 10 families, I would say, many of them with kids, living in the bunker permanently. It was really a utopian experience. Going through gray, early spring city with some damaged windows, with abandoned cars, going into this door through a long concrete corridor and then entering a bunker full of life, full of kids. <laughs> Excited to see you, shaking your hand, asking questions. Um, and other families just claiming their little space, little corner. They only come out if they have to, otherwise they're just waiting for this war to pass. I asked them if they need some food, you know, if they need any help, but they they were pleased to share that the, there are many volunteer groups in the city who supply these bunkers, these families in bunkers, who, who are hiding in bunkers, uh, with food. They bring them <clears throat> supplies they can get at least once a day, and just to make sure they're okay, and also they can drive them to a doctor if needed. So it's the whole network of support for civilians who are staying in town. But it is sad to see that they have to live on the ground. We just had one exploding a little bit farther down. And um, nighttime we can see flashes. During the day we can hear the sounds. And some of them land close enough to shake out buildings and windows. We are going to bed. Uh, ready that one of them is going to land on us. But as funny as it is, you just get used to it. We no, no longer even uh, clinch when uh, one explodes nearby. It's just part of our life these days. That's it for this episode. EU Scream's nonprofit journalism is supported by listener donations, partnerships, and by advertising. And we're grateful to the Laura Kinsella Foundation for an annual grant. For more details and for more EU Scream, visit euscream.com or click on podcast at euobserver.com. I'm James Cantor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>